0: Even though Robinson Cano doesn't play for him anymore, I still hate them.
1: Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, three-time Olympic bronze medalist in ribbon dancing, my brother, Mike. I got skills, folks.
0: I got skills for Bill's skills for days on them ribbons it's pretty mm-hmm. uh, pretty impressive to watch my performances have been described as extremely sensual very
1: right. sensual uh also grotesque at the same time it's it's something else to watch it's it's a little bit like a quentin tarantino movie mm-hmm. uh if it was just that scene with the gimp from from uh, pulp fiction
0: it's yeah a bit like that mm-hmm. yeah, just like that totally ving like rames is involved in all of them too
1: yeah, that's what's weird. Uh, so this week on Royals Weekly, we'll review what was a so so week for the Royals. They, uh, I think, acquitted themselves fairly well in terms of the way they looked, uh, though they only went uh, three and three this week. But uh, we'll take a look and, and review last week a little bit. We'll project the 2022 opening day uh, lineup. A question we got on Twitter sort of sparked, a couple questions we got on Twitter sparked the uh, interest in our, our spotlight topic this week. And then we'll preview uh, two exciting series against the Yankees and the Cardinals again this upcoming week. So let's get right to it. Let's get to some baseball. Not much roster news for the Royals this week. Uh, there was something exciting though. Emmanuel Rivera, who you'll remember broke his hamate bone, had a hamate bone injury that sort of ended his major league debut almost before, almost right after it started. In his second game with the Royals, after he gets called up, he takes a ball off the wrist. Or no, I don't even think he took a ball off the wrist. Yeah, he just he heard swinging or something and was was then on the aisle, although he did come back fairly quickly from that handmaid bone injury. Normally, they take a little while. Normally, they sat players of power, but he is now back in the lineup for the Royals, getting a shot uh, occasionally at third base. Uh, In a corresponding move, they sort of happened together. Kyle Zimmer was sent to the 10-day injured list with neck and trap spasms. He hasn't looked great lately, and it sort of looks like maybe it was injury-related, but he is going to be uh, 10 days on ice for the Royals.
0: Conspiracy theory that I saw on Twitter. Kyle Zimmer has looked a lot less effective since they started checking for the sticky stuff. Okay. So is that it? Is he a product of cheating that that like his uh, is success is it a product of cheating or is it something where it's like, ah no, he just was pitching a lot and is getting tired throughout the year cuz he hasn't really pitched a real strong full season yet in the majors. Um we'll see. I don't know. I'm curious about it
1: in my mind, like the sticky stuff just cannot have that large of an impact on somebody. Like, yes, uh, numbers and spin rates are will go down and things like that. And we'll be able to sort of tell, ah, this guy was probably, you know, utilizing it to some degree or whatever. Relies a lot on a slider. He does, but, you know, you don't, like an extra couple hundred RPMs on your slider, revolutions per minute, uh, aren't going to make you either a, you know, isn't the difference between a two- 0.5 era pitcher and out of the bullpen and a 6 ERA able ERA. that's not how it works and so you know we'll see if how, how he looks moving forward we'll break out our tinfoil hats and start thinking about whether or not he's been you know uh cheating and, and that was the entirety of his success as a pitcher uh whenever he gets back hopefully it'll just be those 10 days and he'll start feeling better and come back uh this week the royals went three and three which brings their overall record to 48 and 62. They took two of three from the White Sox, Look really good against them again. We have the White Sox number lately. Like we sort of seem to match up really well against that lineup. I think in part because that lineup isn't super deep right now. It's really talented at the top. And then because of injuries and things gets a little weaker at the bottom. And we seem to really take advantage of that, I think. But took two of three from them. And then we lost two of three of the Cardinals. Though I'll say we looked competitive in each one of those games. There wasn't a ton of uh, getting blown out or anything like that against in that Cardinals series. Lost a two four game to them. Lost a five or a two five game, and then we won the one run weather delayed game in the ninth today. Mike, any thoughts on the the two series that the Royals
0: played this week? Yeah, it, it was really The White Sox series especially was really good to see. Uh, they have a, a good strong right handed lineup still, and so when you see pitchers like a. Chris Bubich go out there and pitch pretty well. He's got a changeup, so you think that might play pretty well against a lineup like that. So, yeah, really strong pitching performances in that series. We're, we're good to see. I wasn't disappointed, really, with anything. Our offense was a little anemic this week. Uh, Carlos Santana's still struggling uh, quite a bit. We're going to need him if we're going to continue to be competitive in games. But, yeah, I, must, I was happy with the week. Three and three against a really, really good team and a team that's probably average yeah, in the Cardinals. So.
1: I think that's exactly right. And I think I also saw Daniel Lynch going out and putting up a decent performance against that White Sox team, that heavily right-handed lineup. I thought, I thought that meant a lot too. And so to see yeah. Boobich and Lynch both go out and pitch really well against the White Sox, we hope to see that for another five, six years from each one of them.
0: Yeah. Um, and I'll just I'll just add on, it did come out today that they are going to pitch a Brady Singer in this upcoming series. So they're going to kind of morph to a six-man rotation, which I think for the rest of this year is a good idea. Cause you need to see all those guys. They need to get work. We've seen improvement. It seems like anyway, from Keller, Bubich, Lynch. Are we going to see the improvement from Singer that we're hoping to see moving forward? That's the question.
1: If so, that really sets the lineup or the, uh, the, the pitching or the staff for next season. It really sort of starts to solidify who's going to be in that rotation, how things are going to look. And, makes the argument of Dayton Moore that the Royals are going to try and be competitive in 22 seem a little less laughable right now. That's kind of a laughable statement, but if they, that rotation can look solid because Singer's taking a step forward and Keller's taking a step forward and Chris Bubic has taken a step forward and Lynch has taken a step forward, then we all at least feel a little easier about the Royals next season.
0: We have to start s- to wonder where do you put minor? Where do you put Coar? Is does Hernandez move to the bullpen? you know, things like that move to
1: the bullpen. Yeah. yeah,
0: That's down the road a little ways. We're not ready for that conversation yet, but uh, interesting to think about.
1: Yeah. Uh, Another interesting thing to think about is who played well this week. And uh, Michael A. Taylor is a guy who's sort of under the radar has been playing well lately. Kind of not like lava hot or anything like that, but just sort of playing pretty well over the last few weeks. Now I find this interesting this week. He went six for 18 with a double and a home run, but I find it interesting because there are people out there who are sort of of the mind that the Royals will just re-sign Taylor to be their center fielder next year because they don't have a good center field option. People are thinking maybe Kyle Isbell, his offense has been better at AAA lately. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if the Royals are confident that he can sort of handle the major league level hitting enough to be you know, an everyday player in center field. But it'll be interesting to see, do they just simply re-sign Michael A. Taylor? Do they make a play at a decent center fielder this off season, like Starling Marte, or do they sort of go with a reclamation project like Taylor was, it'll sort of be interesting, but Taylor has sort of been a, a little bit, uh, consistent this week and a little bit driving some of the offensive
0: production. So that was good to see. Yeah. And I'll talk about, uh, for my strong performance, Josh Stalmont, who had a little bit of a lull. We don't know if it was, uh, effects from maybe COVID or maybe just some, uh, dead arm going on there, but it seems like this week he's gotten back to where he was I feel like he is most effective when he's throwing that curveball, both for strikes and as his out pitch. Now, also, what plays into that is he doesn't pitch quite as well when he's throwing 95, as surprisingly, as when he's throwing 99. So, uh, <laughs>
1: guys, throwing harder, makes, harder the, makes the pitch harder to hit. Makes but it more know.
0: difficult. And so, he, his velocity has been more consistent in the, in the higher 90s. And that curveball, when he can locate it to actually throw strikes to start batters off with, it is beautiful. And he did so that this beautiful. week.
1: And it was, it's great that in the last over the last week, you're seeing Stamont sort of throw it up there at 99-100 again, which is great to see. I was a little worried that where was his strength? He was sitting 95-96 for most of the season up to this point. And then lately, you're starting to see him go out and throw one 99 or a couple of hundred in an outing. And it's like, if Stamont gets back to that, he'll be that type of elite shutdown reliever that people thought he could be.
0: Yeah. And I just wanted to give the numbers here. He had three innings pitched, only give up three hits. He had three strikeouts, no walks, which is going to be huge for all Royals pitchers at this point because walks are still killing us, but he did great. And let's hope we can keep that Josh Stamont the rest of the year. I would love to see that. It wasn't all
1: sunshine and rainbows. We did have some weak performances this week in a three and three week you're bound to. And one of the ones that was uh, sort of an obvious to me was Salvador Perez, He's a guy who's always hot and cold to some degree. He was really hot previous to this week had a whole bunch of home runs looked like maybe he was gonna hit 40 this week or this week. 40 in one week that people. would be on. that would be a real story. We'd, we'd be doing like a special episode <laughs> like just just talking about hey, these home runs are insane. Uh, but no, we thought he might hit 40 this year, but he slowed down a little bit this week. He was three for 18, one home run, seven strikeouts, one walk. he was sick this week got his first day off this week due to illness. I think little worries that he had COVID got tested. He was negative, but you know, this not a guy who's bound to have a week where you hit three, where you go three for eight swings a lot, not a, not a real patient hitter. So not to not worried at all about Perez. I think he'll continue to hit home runs this year, this year, but you know, it's one of those things I'm, I'm curious. And I, I know everyone else is too. What do they do with Perez as he ages? What do they sort of transition him to a part-time catcher, part-time DH? We're gonna talk a little bit more about that. Uh, in our next segment, in the spotlight segment. But uh, not a great week for Perez. Hopefully he starts uh, picking it back up again next week.
0: Yeah, and, and another stalwart of our offense for years now has been Whit Merrifield. He's been struggling a little bit recently as well. Five for 24, no extra base hits this week, and six strikeouts. Um, you, you're hoping this isn't the start of an age decline because the Royals are going to need him, and there's been uh, some like reports this week that his defense at second base has been really good which you, know, you don't really expect great defense from what Merrifield anywhere. And he really struggled earlier this year in second base, but he is that Swiss army piece. The guy that you can move around. If he can continue to hit, he's still valuable. If he doesn't, I don't know how valuable that versatility is. So hopefully this is just a little blip and he turns it on at the end of the year or at the very least at the beginning of next year, if not, you really messed up not getting rid of him during oh, the trade. You depth.
1: messed up it so badly. And I think the evidence is mounting that this is an age decline. That, you know, we're not just talking this year, we're talking last year and the year, but maybe not the year before that. So now we have to 2020, which was a shortened season. And up to this point in 2021, that's all evidence of an age decline. And so I'm starting to doubt whether or not we'll ever see Whit Merrifield hit over 290 for a season again. I'm starting to doubt that he'll ever be the kind of offensive player he was in 2018 and 2019. And as you said, he plays good defense at second and pretty good defense in right field, but he's not great as a defender in, you know, elite positions. Like he's not a great shortstop, great center fielder, that sort of thing. And so while the Swiss army can help and is good, if you're not hitting, if you're not, you know, producing offensively, then it gets a little more dicey, whether or not he could be in the lineup all the time. We know that Dayton Moore decided not to trade him, we know that he's only got a year guaranteed left on his contract, and then maybe an option for 2023, which you're not going to want to pay if he's not hitting. And so it, it it'll be a big question. Like they have to ride with him now. Like there's no no other option. You're rolling with Whit Merrifield, but what does that mean? Look moving forward as Bobby Wood Jr. comes up, as Nicky Lopez continues to emerge. If Mondesi gets healthy, where does Nick, Whit Merrifield play? Who knows? But uh, it wasn't a great week for him hopefully he does start to turn it around, have a strong end of the of the season. Mike, what was your theme for this week as you sort of look at the Royals having a winning series, a losing series, facing some decent teams? What did you take away from the week?
0: Intrigue is what I took away from the week. That's my theme. Ooh. And that's mostly based on one thing. Dayton Moore makes a comment this week about Adalberto Mondesi, hmm. stating that you cannot that count week? on him. I think it was this week, stating that you cannot count on him to play, be an everyday player in Major League Baseball. Very interesting. And the first time we've ever heard Dayton, now many people have been saying this for a while. You and I have been skeptical at this point uh, about his ability to play 150 plus games in a year. But you don't hardly ever hear Dayton Moore say things like this about players, ever. ever. And so it's interesting to me because if that's the case, if, if that's in his mind, you have to then make decisions based on that who do you keep? Who do you bring up? Where do you play guys? You have to have that in mind. If you're thinking, I have to be prepared for Adalberto Mondesi to not be in the lineup. So that was intriguing yeah. to me. Uh, just I've never heard Dayton Moore say anything like that before.
1: Yeah. Intriguing to me, not just for the, I mean, there's the baseball element of it, which is always intriguing. Like, How do you prepare knowing that one of your best players may not be available very often? Like that's an intriguing baseball problem to have. That's intriguing in itself, but the fact that Dayton Moore came out and said it is what's so interesting to me. Like I, I look at Dayton Moore as a man who often speaks as if he is delusional about the team that he runs, right? I think he is delusional uh, when they say things like we're going to try and compete in 2021. We're going to you know, I think that sort of stuff is is what he normally does overly optimistic, way overly optimistic, right? Not seeing the very obvious truths that everyone else is seeing about his team, about his organization, about his system, all that stuff. That is in my mind what Dayton Moore is. And then every once in a while, he comes out and says something that is boldly and blatantly true. And I'm always thrown by it. I'm always like, what? <laughs> I mean, I know that's true. I'm shocked that you would know it's true, right?
0: This is why this when is an way- athletes give, give Frank interviews, it's always like big time news. It's like, they said yeah. something.
1: They actually said something. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's what Dayton Moore did. He came out and he was like, oh, here's the truth of the situation. I'm like, oh, that, that, that's actually reality. I didn't know you were familiar with that, that concept. Okay. So, yes, re- Adalberto Modese cannot be counted on to play. I think Moore was like, we can't count on to play more than 100 games in a season. And I'm like, that's true. Like, that is true. So, it was just interesting to me. Like, I don't think this is the start of a particularly candid stretch Uh, he's like, I'm going to start being more realistic and more honest with the, you know, I don't think that's it, but you know, maybe he saw some value in being uh, a little more candid and a little more realistic about Mondesi's future. And that's okay. Um, Speaking of the future, my theme for this week is that you can see the future, right? You could start, I'm starting to see the future of the Royals emerge. Like what does the 2022 team look like? What does the 2023 team look like? As Bobby Witt Jr. and Nick Prado have sort of, Moved up and started playing well as Alberto Mondesi came up to the majors and has, has started playing more regularly, though not every day like he should be. You mean we start Edward to Olivares?
0: See, who, who'd I say? Alberto Mondesi. He's on my brain
1: these days. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Edward Olivares comes up and starts playing more regularly. We start to see what the team will look like as it takes shape. Also, as the starting rotation starts to solidify a little bit, starts to take a step forward with Hernandez, with Bubich, with Keller getting better, with Singer coming back now, we're going to start to see what is this team going to look like in its next iteration? Danny Duffy has been traded. You know, uh, All the old guard are pretty much gone. And so... What does the next competitive team look like? We're starting to, to, to see it take shape at the edges. When Bobby Wood Jr. comes up and is playing short or third, when Nick Prado comes up and is playing first, when MJ Melendez comes up and is catching in some way, we'll start to see the whole picture. But it is interesting to me to see the future start to solidify around the edges.
0: Yeah, and it's fun. Like it's just fun to see those guys go. You know, it's uh, much more fun. Yeah, I, no offense to some of the older guys, but I don't. You know a Mike minor start to me is probably the least interesting one to watch. Cause I know what I'm going to get when I get Mike minor. And I know that he's not a long-term answer for this team, but I'd you who I like watching Carlos Hernandez because <laughs> it's exciting. And he throws a hundred and he might hit a guy and then strike out two guys and then throw one to the backstop and then give up two bombs and then strike out 10 guys. Like that's just how it goes. And, and he, those guys are interesting to watch. It's interesting to see them learn as they go. And so, yeah, I, I like, uh, I like the young guys, let them play.
1: If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on our next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We tweet during most games so you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. This week for our spotlight segment, we will be focusing on a couple of questions from listeners. We had two listeners ask questions, and we sort of combined those questions into what would be our spotlight segment. Our listeners are informed, curious, and beautiful people, which makes any question they ask worth answering. Let's start with a question from superfan John Lee Pettimore, who asks, is MJ Melendez a legit defensive backstop? How does he fit into the lineup down the road with Salvi and Prado at catcher and first? Mike, what do you think? How is MJ Melendez going to make it into this lineup? And is he a good enough catcher to stick at catcher and be a primary everyday guy for the
0: Royals? Well, let's start here. First, he is a legit defensive catcher. He is a major league-ready defensive catcher. Now, he's not a Salvador Perez uh, defensively. In his prime,
1: because Salvador Perez is not what he was in his prime defensively anymore either.
0: I don't even know if MJ Melendez is what Salvador Perez is now, but he's probably obviously closer than what he was back then. Uh, MJ Melendez is a good enough catcher though, to certainly be a everyday major league catcher. Uh, that was kind of his thing coming out of high school was he was a defense, almost, you know, off, almost defensive ready out of high school. He's, he's really good there. Now the question will be, is there, are there other places you can put him if they still want to catch Salvador Perez? The answer is yes, but only barely because you have the DH, you have first base and you can create somewhat of a rotation there for Salvador Perez MJ Melendez, and Nick Prado, whoever you have moving forward. So the other question is, does he play any other positions? He has played a very minimal amount of third base, but I don't see that as an option moving forward unless starting next year, because I think he's probably in the minors for a good chunk of next year as well. Unless starting next year, you give him significant time at third base in Omaha. That, That tends to be where I think it happens. But here's how I think... I, here's how I think the Royals should approach this. Bring Melendez up as a catcher, and that's when you start to make the transition from Salvador Perez as an everyday catcher to Salvador Perez as a DH slash catcher. Melendez gets about 60% of the catching starts. Perez gets about 40%. They alternate at DH when they're not catching. And then, of course, you have other guys. there. You could slide them in at first base if, you need, if the first baseman needs a day off. There are other ways, of course, that you can get them in the lineup, but Salvador Perez can't catch 162 games or even over really shouldn't be catching over 130 games a year anyway. MJ Melendez is young enough to still do that type of take that type of workload. So let him do it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think if somebody asks, like, what is the ultimate solution? It is that kind of rotation, Someone, Randy Gisarelli, who's like a great writer, great uh, sort of baseball mind, uh, and a huge Royals fan, has suggested trading Melendez in the past, though I think he's backed away from that ever since Melendez has just become, ever since he went from hot to supernova hot, uh, Randy's been a little less uh, on the, let's trade MJ Melendez bandwagon. Um, Instead, he's like, maybe this rotation thing can work. I think it can. I actually think it's a great solution um, to have Melendez catching primarily, and then him and Perez sort of rotating, or if you want, you know, to have Perez be the primary catcher for now, and then in a couple of years or a year or two, Melendez sort of takes on the the majority of those starts at, at catcher. That's fine, but get them both in the lineup. They can both hit. You know, uh, that's what you, you just want some bats that have some thump in your lineup. And if you can get that from the catching position and then also the DH position, it doesn't really matter. Like mix and match who's there until one of them proves that they really can't catch that much anymore. Uh, that would be Perez. Then he'll have to move more primarily to DH, but Melendez is definitely a legit catcher, a legit catcher defensively. There's a little bit of a split on whether or not he could be a really good catcher or just a good catcher, maybe serviceable catcher. I think he can be a really good catcher defensively. And so I'm, I'm, I think they should be moving up already. I think he should be on the same timeline as Prado and Witt. But it looks like he might lag a little bit, as Mike indicated, behind those guys, maybe come up sometime in 2022 instead of starting the year off in, with a good chance to make the squad on opening day. That actually opens up to the sort of second question we wanted to address from a listener. This question came from a follower named Joe D. He asked us to discuss what we think the opening day lineup will look like in 2022 because he's really interested in where Prado and Witt will play and where they might be in the lineup. So, Mike, what are your thoughts on that 2022 opening day lineup? How are Bobby Witt Jr. and Prado going to fit into a team that looks like it's still full? Because Santana is still going to be here, probably because Montes will be coming back. Where, where, how's
0: that all going to work out? Well, so so here's here's what I'm thinking for this exercise. I thought I'm going to assume that Bobby Witt Jr. makes the opening day roster. Now, that's kind of a big assumption. We don't really know how service time is going to continue to work with new collective bargaining agreement coming out. Is this a guy where we, where we hold him back for a couple of weeks to save a year's, a year's worth of control before he gets to arbitration and things like that? So, uh, but I'm going to assume, let's say Bobby Wade Jr. makes it because it's more fun to assume that anyway, right? Uh, Prado, we're going to assume he makes it too because they don't ever move those two unless they're together. So that then begs the question, and this is where, and this is why I'm glad this listener brought this question to us. You have to start thinking, it now becomes a very crowded lineup. Because where do you put Whit Merrifield? If assuming, and I think this is probably the best way to do it, Bobby Witt Jr. goes to third, Mondesi is at short, Lopez is at second. Does Whit Merrifield go to right? Okay, where are you playing Dozier? Where are you putting Rivera? Okay, don't forget Benintendi is already occupying left, so you can't just go say we're going to stash Edward Olivares there. There's just not enough room for everybody. So that's why I think it's important that we're doing this if we make some assumptions like, okay, guys are going to be traded away, or we're going to get some guys, where are they going? Who are we getting? And what do we do for this opening day lineup? So I thought I'd sort of lay out those parameters for you. Tell me what you think the beginning of that opening day lineup looks like. Where are they hitting? Where are they playing in the field?
1: Okay. So I'm going to go like with a wild sort of wildly speculative opening day lineup. And this is in some ways a reflection of what I want the opening day lineup to be. And I'm not going to go like one, two, three, four, because I don't really know or care what, what order they would go in. I'm actually just going to go positionally around the field. Right. And so we'll start at catcher. I think Salvador Perez will start opening day as the catcher for the Kansas City Royals in 2022. Not too tough.
0: Way to take the layup.
1: I know. Um, first base, I think will be Nick Prado on opening day. I think uh that, Santana will take on the DH role for next year. And so that's going to be where, what he's doing. So DH, I think will be Carlos Santana, Nick Prado at first. Second base, I think will be Nicky Lopez. Third, uh, shortstop, I think will be Adalberto Modesty. Third base, I think will be Bobby Witt Jr. Left field, I think will be Andrew Benintendi. Center field, I think will be TBD, a player that has not been signed yet. I think it'll be somebody, either it'll be Michael A. Taylor getting re-signed or some, maybe they make a Starling Marte move. Maybe they pick up some reclamation project. Maybe even they trade for somebody in the off season. I would, I would look to do that if I were them, but we'll see on that front. I don't think the center fielder on opening day is, is unless it's Michael A. Taylor, unless they re-sign him, I don't think the center fielder on opening day is, is in the org right now. Uh, And so, and then right field, I think they will play Hunter Dozier, sadly. Uh, this is the one where it's like my heart wants them to have Edward Olivares there, but I think Hunter Dozier will be there.
0: Does so, Olivares then occupy as the fourth outfielder because he can't really play center?
1: Well, he can't, and that's why I don't think he does. I think he'll be back in AAA to start next year. I think that they'll go with some other fourth outfield option. Maybe that. Maybe they sign Taylor and he's the fourth outfielder or something like that. And then I think Merrifield will have a bench spot, uh, and he'll. I think Merrifield will have a bench spot, but he'll still play three, four times a week because they'll want to sort of rotate, get guys in and out. They'll do a lot of Merrifield to second, Lopez to short a lot of the time, I think, and then give those guys days off and that sort of thing. So I think it'll be a very flexible lineup in terms of positional versatility because Whit Merrifield will be coming off the bench a lot, Uh, maybe not on opening day, or I think, yeah, maybe even on opening day, it sort of depends on, on some things, but yeah, that's sort of how I see the lineup shaking out in 2022.
0: Now, to, to analyze that, let's talk about the guys that got squeezed here, okay? Yeah. We're talking yeah. about no Emmanuel Rivera. We're talking about no Whit Merrifield in that starting lineup. In the starting lineup, okay. but
1: it doesn't hang really on, matter hang who's on, hang starting.
0: Hang, on. hang right? on, We're also talking about no Edward Olivares. You're talking about possibly a Kyle Isbell as a fourth outfielder, but if not, still in AAA, okay? So, here's the where I disagree with you on that. I think Whit Merrifield starts in right field, and I think Dozier likely sits, but Dozier is the player that comes in and does the rotating. I think Merrifield still plays every day because they want him batting first in the lineup. I could see that for sure. Um, and so I think Merrifield, Merrifield starts in right. Dozier doesn't get the start that day, but then he'll be in at third when they want Bobby Whit to play short, and then they're giving Mondesi a day off. He'll be in and right when, when Wit goes to second and gives Lopez a day off so on and so forth. I think Dozier is the guy that plays four or five times a week, but at different spots goes into left to give Benintendi a day off, whatever, whatever. Uh, I think that's the the role that he occupies more than Whit Merrifield occupying that role.
1: See, it would not surprise me at all because Lopez has had such a good season in terms of on-base percentage. It would not surprise me at all if they try and have him lead off next year. And here's why. I think they're going to want Bobby Witt Jr. to hit second. And I think they would rather start lefty hitting leadoff, righty hitting second, and then go into their power guys and put Prado maybe five. So maybe something like Lopez one, Bobby Witt Jr. Two, Santana three, Perez four, Prado five. I think that's a possibility for their opening day lineup, their top five. Anyway,
0: I would, I would Again, disagree. I, I do think they like Bobby Witt Jr. at second, or batting second in the lineup, but I think that Dayton Moore really likes a switch hitter there. So I'm going to go with Mondesi there at two, if he, assuming he's healthy. I think Mondesi's batting second. Whit Merrifield still batting for first, Mondesi's second, and then your power guys, Perez or Santana, three and four. And then I think Bobby Witt Jr. slots in at five.
1: That's a possibility too. I, I think that's a real possibility. I, and think, I think it's not.
0: You leave Nicky Lopez at nine. nine. I, I hope they're smart enough to leave him at nine because of that on base ability for when the lineup turns back over.
1: Maybe. And, but the, it depends on how you see Whit Merrifield And you, if you think he's going to be in the lineup, like how you oh, see no. what Whitmer- this is, how
0: I think they see Whit Merrifield.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I don't see Whit Merrifield in that same way. And so I, th- I think like, I don't think he's a great option leading off right now and maybe in the future and so i'm not as sort of optimistic about the prospect of putting Whit Merrifield, one as a what would be considered an everyday starter and two at the top of a lineup i'm not super stoked at the prospect of doing of putting Nicky lopez there either just because you know yes he's had a really good season but he's not still not an offensive force or anything like that it's not like you know, he's getting on base and that's good. So be a table setter. But you know, he's not the perfect option at lead off or anything like that. And so, you know, but I, I if I have a coin toss, whip Maryfield right now or Nikki Lopez right now, who's leading off for you and who's playing every day. Nikki Lopez is playing every day and Nikki Lopez is leading off for me. Because right now that just seems to be the better option. And so we'll see how that sort of all shakes out. It will be a little versatile, but to sort of address Jody's question directly. I think Bobby Wood Jr. probably starts at third base while Mondesi plays short. I think Prado will probably start at first. I think they'll both make the opening day roster and uh, I think they'll both be somewhere near the top of the lineup, 5 maybe maybe 2nd if they want Bobby Wood Jr. there. Um we'll see, but I think that they're I think they have a really good chance to make the opening day roster on tw- in 2022. Yeah. The Royals start a 10-game homestand this week with a three-game series against the universally hated New York Yankees, followed by another series against the locally despised St. Louis Cardinals. Mike, tell us about the Yankees and how they're just the worst. Well, they're the
0: gosh darn worst. Well, they are the worst. Even though Robinson Cano doesn't play for them anymore, I still hate them. Uh, (laughs) The Yankees, although I will say this, since the trade deadline where they did make quite a few moves... They have been doing better baseball-wise, but I can still hate them. 61 and 50. They're third in the, which is only good for third in the American League East. Good Yikes. division. Six and a half games back from the Rays. I will say this. Anthony Rizzo did go on the COVID list today, so he's going to be out for a little while. The guy they got from the Cubs. Um, Virulent so, anti-vaxxer Anthony Rizzo. Uh, I don't I don't really know much about the guy personally, but I do know that they just got Judge back from a long stretch, and now they've, they're getting Rizzo's going to be gone too. So... Uh, Who knows if they're going to be able to compete. I would love nothing more than them to go out and trade for a bunch of guys and not make the playoffs. That would make me very happy. Hilarious. In that first game against the Yankees, we have uh, Carlos Hernandez, my favorite pitcher, against Jamison Tyon, former uh, second overall pick of the Pirates, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, 29-year-old right-handed pitcher. Hasn't quite lived up to that status. He's got a round of four ERA with a 1-2-1 whip. Still throws pretty hard, a fastball, curveball, slider guy. He will throw an occasional changeup as well, but a guy that can certainly be hit. So let's hope we can get to him. In the second game, we've got Daniel Lynch versus Nestor Cortez, a 26-year-old left-handed pitcher. He's only started four games this year, but he's looked good with a 2.15 ERA, uh, 1.04 whip. He's a fastball, curveball, slider, changeup guy. A lot of pitches mix as well. Soft tossing lefty, which we know the Royals can struggle with at times. We don't have any probables yet for the Yankees game three, but uh, Singer has been listed as a, provis- or a probable for the Royals. And so that'll be interesting to see him coming off of the injured list and getting his first chance back in, in the majors. I want to see one, how long they let him go, but two, how much does he mix in that changeup? Do we see a little bit more of that? Has he gone back and looked and seen, hey, this is what I need to do? Or is it just, hey, I'm a fastball slider guy and, uh, if I can locate them and, and they've got my stuff, I can be great today. If I don't, I can be crushed.
1: Yeah. And it may also be a factor of like, I'm going to wait till the off season to work more on that. A lot of guys don't want to make those kind of changes during the season. So maybe he's just holding off on that. I hope he's not. I hope he's, I mean, no time. like This is a lost season guy. You might as well work on stuff too, because, you know, it's not like we're going to make a playoff push here soon. Um, and so, yeah, I hope he comes back. I hope he's throwing some more change-ups. I hope he looks good. I hope he feels good. Uh, after the Yankee series, another series with the Cardinals. So we just finished playing a series with them today. We'll play them again at the end of next week, 55 and 56. The Cardinals are right around 500. That's good enough for third in the NL central 10 and a half back from the Brewers. You know, the Cardinals, cause you just watched them at the end of this week. They're a somewhat aged team. They have some big names who are pretty old. Uh, we got uh, owned by Adam Wayne right there for a while in, in a series earlier in the series, some good pitchers. They really sort of know how to play some baseball, even though they're around 500, they have the ability to pitch well enough to keep their teams in a lot of games, uh, even though they sometimes struggle with the bats. That's basically the Cardinals. So we'll play them at home this week. Uh, Let's just hope that uh, the K can be packed full of Royals fans and rocking for these two series against two teams that I think pretty much every Royals fan does not like. We'll end this week the same way we end every week with our Just a Bit Outside segment. So, Mike. What is fascinating you outside the world of baseball this week?
0: Well, uh, a deep thought from me anyway, uh, I was watching a documentary on Isaac Newton the other night. And, you know, if you know much about like history and, and the enlightenment and and sci- the, the kind of origins of the father of science, modern science and Isaac Newton, you know that like there's this idea that he was kind of what they call a deist, a guy who like didn't, didn't necessarily, I don't want to say didn't believe in God, but like he... Believe that God was outside of the realm of science, like that they were separated. But that's completely and wholeheartedly untrue. Like, that is a narrative that was spun after he had died by a bunch of French philosophers, right? And so it got me thinking, like, Ooh, how, uh, yeah, uh, French philosophers, who uh, needs it? Uh, and so it got me thinking, like, oh, historical cool. narratives, they change so much, or they can be changed so drastically different from what reality was in the time that was happening. And so like you think about Newton, you think about George Washington like a lot of the narrative around the life and achievements of George Washington were developed like a generation after he died when accuracy meant nothing and they were really just myth building. And so like I wonder about Lee. like and it was so easy to do back then because there wasn't like fact checking and you know there when people wrote they didn't necessarily write for historical accuracy and things like that. But I, I also wonder like our times today, like in hopefully in five years, we're past this pandemic thing. It, are things going to be written that drastically change the way that people a hundred years from now think about the pandemic that are off, that are like wrong about them? There, or really any historical event today are you know in, is there going to be a narrative about the 2021 Royals that develops next year? that people 15 years down the road will start thinking about this team and go, Oh, well, remember that team? It was where they made like a turning point. Like, no, I mean, it really wasn't, but (laughs) you know, that's what we've developed as our, as our historical narrative. We'll be writing that narrative. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Uh, And so it just got me thinking like what, what stuff is going to be talked about later on down the road. That's just not true. That's inaccurate. Yeah, it's crazy. And then of course, the only people who know the truth are like the ones that really know isaac newton or really know george washington went back and read rely on the stuff from their time to what we call primary sources and things like that so i don't know it just got me thinking yeah well, i think the the gist of the thing you just said was do your do your own research
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah or you said when you said watch the, like, more youtube fact- videos when you said we said back then there weren't like fact checkers i'm like uh are there fact checkers now for most of what gets (laughs) written um yeah like let's not talk about our current moment like it's full of accuracy and (laughs) and uh and and correct sort of narrative building that's that's insane um yeah so i wanted to leave us on a positive one uh, this week as, as as i sort of think about lately i've been signing off shows with um be good to each other and i sort of i want us to think about like what does that mean to be good to each other? And it's a really dark time right now where we see sort of videos of a, I watched that video of the dude getting duct taped to the airline seat today, Yeah, uh, you know, and like treating people like poorly and people d- like not getting vaccinated and choosing to sort of flout rules about mask wearing and things like that. And and when I see stuff like that, it makes me very cynical about the world. And what I wanted to like think about was I sort of have to constantly remind myself about the people doing Good stuff in the world, the people looking out for each other. And so this week there was a little bit of a COVID scare in our household. So I live with Mike right now. uh, And so we had like a a COVID scare where we were worried maybe some people around us might have COVID. And so what was really interesting was I also bought a house this week and happened to take possession of that house. And so I had an empty house and it was interesting to me that uh, I asked my girlfriend, Hey, my girlfriend who owns this house with me. Would it be okay if some people stayed in this house if they need to quarantine? And she, having never met some of these people, was like, "Absolutely, that's fine. You know, if you if we need to do something to make sure we can all be safe, we'll be safe, right?" And so I want to remind everybody that even in like times when it can feel really easy to be cynical, there are lots of people out there helping each other. There are lots of people out there willing to help you if you need it. So uh, yeah. It's just cool to see in my mind. And I I was speaking with somebody who was a nurse like yesterday or the day before that. And, you know, that meeting the people who sort of do that sort of thing daily on like the daily basis can really remind you that like, there's a whole lot more people looking out for each other than there are people looking out for number one, looking out just to be like the most selfish, insanely, uh, you know, arrogant or, or egotistical. Person, yeah. egotistical person out there. I mean, I am that person, so nobody else can have that crown, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just like to see people being good to each other and looking out for each other. Me too. Yeah. Are Royals, you guys really looking out for me? Be
0: good to me. Royals. Be good to me. Royals. <laughs> right? the, look out for me. Royals look out for me. <laughs> Royals. I want to be good to other people. You be good to me. Okay. Yeah, man. <laughs> yes keep watching the Royals to see if they're good to oh, to Mike man. and I be good to me by sweeping the Yankees and kicking them out of the playoff hunt.
1: Oh, yeah. that's how you can be good to us. Royals. If you want to get us a present for this year for talking up your team on this podcast, sweep the Yankees, help take them out of playoff contention. And we'll look back and say, you know, the season didn't go great, but we had that one series. Mm-hmm. We had that one series. That's right. So en- enjoy Royals baseball this week. We'll be back again next week to talk to you until then be good to each other. And go Royals!